Hey, thank you to Helix for sponsoring this podcast. Adam has had his Helix mattress for almost a year now, and he's loving it. It's it's actually hard to get him up. In fact, he won't stop talking about it. You'll understand what we mean when he goes into detail. Thank you for the detail, Adam, later on the episode. But for now, we want to tell our listeners about a special deal going on. Our Sleepy Time Pal Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and... As if that's not enough, two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash Paula. That's helixsleep.com slash Paula. This is their best offer yet, and I'll bet it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. (sighs) Hey, everybody. It's Adam from Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone. Yes, the guy who's on every episode. But um, I just want... Adam. Yes? Yes? um, Bonnie called me. Uh-huh. And uh geez, we gotta get her off coffee. She uh she called to tell me that your sound uh, the the audio quality uh on the beginning of the show uh isn't isn't good. That's precisely why I was making this announcement. Well the irony is that uh I'm recording this on my QuickTime on my laptop, and she says the sound on this isn't good. Right. So So let me apologize to our listeners both for your sound on this disclaimer. But this is just during the disclaimer. This is just during the sound disclaimer. After the sound disclaimer, my sound is good and your sound is not. Well, the thing is, is that my sound then turns good after the first commercial break. So I'm disclaiming my sound for only the uh, first act of the show, if you will. Okay, so my sound is going to be bad right now during the disclaimer for your sound being bad in the beginning of the show, and then your sound gets better. Right. Okay. Whereas yours remains good from every moment after this one. Yeah. Well, I got to tell you, I've said this before, but I listened to a podcast with Al Hunt and James Carville, and James Carville's wife has been emptying the dishwasher while he's talking before, and Bonnie doesn't call him. Yeah, I know. Well, everybody, uh, let's get to it. Enjoy the show. Does my sound okay? <laughs> okay. That's fantastic. Bonnie? Um? Bonnie? Oh, wait. Yeah? Are, are you eating something? Can you hear that? Yes, we can hear it. We can hear We can all hear you. What are you eating? Oh, God. I'm sorry. I didn't get a chance to eat before we started the show. Why do you think you can hear that? Well, I can hear it, and maybe why don't you take the time to chew and swallow whatever the okay whatever T-bone you're munching on right there. I'm done. Okay. Uh, thanks. And now you're making smacking noises. Are you sure you're not not having a mold made of your teeth? Because that's what it sounds like when you talk. Okay. Guess what I'm eating. I don't want to. Can't imagine. <laughs> Okay, then live from New York. All right, then. Here we go. Stop it, Paula. Coming to you live from our houses in Los Angeles, California, it's Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, your comedy field guide to life. Tonight, how much is that doggy in the window? Okay, now, how much is that painting of doggies playing poker in the window? <laughs> 
It's so cute! And that bulldog is totally cheating! It has to be worth a lot, right? Not necessarily. Art appraiser Kevin Zwire Anderson is here to tell us what's worth what, as he apprises us on the appropriate assessment of art appraisal. Plus, they say that Captain Crinkle is a dish best served cold. Or maybe that's revenge. In any case, we've got your letters about our beloved but controversial Bonnie Burns that we promised last week in our mailbag delayed Captain Crinkle edition. <laughs> I'm Adam Felber, meticulously curating the content of this podcast in an attempt to highlight the conversational nuggets of highest value for our listeners. And now, please welcome the woman whose conversational style is pure Jackson Pollock and whose favorite painting is entitled Still Life with Columbo's Trench Coat. It's Paula Poundstone. Yay. Hey, guys. Hey, hey, Paula. Thank you so much. You know, if I sound a little tired, and I might, I'll tell you why. Why? Bonnie Burns called oh. me last <laughs> night. And... It doesn't, it's not the length of the conversation, it's the ordeal of it. She, okay, she said she was calling to give me good news. That's what she said. And then she told me that my ticket sales at the blah, blah, blah venue are at 50%. Ooh. No. She said, she said, I think that's pretty good. Okay, first of all, it's not pretty good. But second of all, she then said that another place I'm working, the ticket sales are at 3%. Now, the okay. truth is... Theaters are very happy to have shows in them again, and so am I, but ticket sales are down in general. Still, under no circumstances would 3% ticket sales fall within the good news <laughs> phone call category. And then she goes, hmm, what else did I need to talk to you about? Hey, how did you record the plug you did for Paula Poundstone Goes to College for One Night album? And I said, well, I, I used QuickTime. And she said, did you do it at home or in the hotel? And I said, well, I, I, I did it in the hotel. And she said, okay, it doesn't sound very good. Finally, I said, do you want me to do it again tomorrow night when we're recording? And she said, that's a good idea. Do you want to do it tomorrow night when we're recording? Oh my God, with the manipulative, indirect uh. time wasting. Where, where does she get this technique? Is it from the book, The 12 Bullshit Ways Successful People Ask a Question? And you know what I started thinking about like late at night as I lay there? What? I was thinking, how do her dogs stand it? Like, <laughs> does she say to her dog, Lily Bell, do you think you want to do something now? And it's not stand, it's not run around, no, it's not give me your paw. No, it's not bring me your toy. Let's see. It rhymes with what you just did on the floor behind my desk. Sit. Right. Good dog. Oh, my God. Ouch. It's so frustrating. Just direct, direct, direct. Right? Just direct. Wait a minute. I'm calling oh, wait, you with good wait, wait, news. Wait, hold on, Bonnie. Before, before we go forward, Paula, I could tell right away that you were tired. And the reason I could tell is because you neglected to introduce our house band. Oh. 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 <laughs> well, Adam. Yes? Hmm. I didn't introduce the house band. I wonder what we might do about that. Hey, Paula, what do you think we should do about introducing the house band tonight? I wonder what we could do about introducing <laughs> Adam McDonough from Nashville, Tennessee on guitar. 
And by the way, <laughs> do you want to do that? Do you? Uh, his new song, Tell It Like It Is, is streaming on all music platforms. And I could say that if I wanted to. Do you want to? I think I do. <laughs> it all came from me, Adam McDonough. Our house band tonight from Nashville, Tennessee on the guitar has a new song, Tell It Like It Is. It's streaming on all music platforms. <laughs> oh, it just feels so good to make my own choices. <laughs> and with that in mind, I'm going to make the choice to bring this week's installment of our book club, Fight Club Edition, to order. You know what? You know how you get a dopamine hit? From, like, just even the lead-up to something you really enjoy, when I hear that gavel go, I get a little dopamine hit because it means well, I, we're I, having the book club. I, I get a little scared because it means that we're going to have a, an interval before the book club where we have some kind of book club theme song. Oh, I was thinking about my response, so I forgot to jump in there. But we've got a book club. We've got a book club. We've got a bookie, 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 book club. We've got a book club tonight. Oh, my Woo! God. Oh, yeah. That was really good, uh, Bonnie. I'm so glad you wanted to sing it for us. Um. Oh. Yeah, it's this sort of combustible mixture of what she wants and really bad, like uh, it's some therapist. You know, Bonnie has for a long time gone to therapy with uh, Scooby the Clown. Yeah. And someone has told her that this is a good way to communicate mm. with people. This weird sort of, you know, milking them, this sort of stretching and working their teeth over time. Right. <laughs> Speaking of teeth stretching. <laughs> we read Fight Club, chapters 6 through 10, in which the Fight Club finally starts, and our narrator's new roommate, Tyler Durden, sleeps with that woman who's been crashing the various grief uh, groups. Marla. And um, also they make soap. They're also learning how to make uh, explosives and also getting lights punched out of them in their new fight club, which is growing. So let's get some opinions on that, starting with this uh, podcast namesake, Paula Poundstone, the name above the title. Well, you know, Adam, as the narrator describes these men that come to the fight club and how they they somehow need it. He said, you know, it's a, it, we have a nation of men that have been raised by their mothers and blah, 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 blah. You know what it is? It's the Josh Hawley syndrome. That's what it is. They all have the Josh Hawley syndrome. They have to go punch each other. The one who says that, you know, men are not men anymore because of, I, I don't know. He, he says something about men not being men anymore. He's very concerned right. about it. Big issue for him. Uh, so this sadomasochist that the narrator meets in a bar, and there's already like so much violence, not surprisingly, a book called Fight Club, but you know, every time there's a mention of some violent act that they make themselves feel alive with, I think to myself, there are so many other kinds of clubs they could have joined or started. <laughs> like there's a scene where someone in the fight club is banging the narrator's head into the cement floor until yeah. the narrator bites through his cheek. And I thought, what about a bird lover's club? There's a club called the Neverlanders. It's a social club for people who share a common love of Disneyland. They could do that. 
It seems as though the point here is that these are all poorly evolved and self-destructive people who are looking for something that's going to bring about their own destruction. And I feel like spotting a yellow titmouse isn't going to really do it for them. Well, how about this? There's a club called All Things Chocolate. There's Golf Daddies, Bargain Hunters, Fangirls Club for Teens, Kitchen Mommies. What about Kitchen Mommies? Is Kitchen Mommies really going to help take my soul apart so that I can then reassemble it from scratch? Maybe. You don't know until you try it. What about Fashion Hunters? That'll take your... I just don't understand why Brad put Pitt... Brad Pitt. I just don't understand why Brad Pitt would write such a book. He did. It was written by... Uh, Tony can pronounce his name. What is it, Tony? No, I can't. Bonnie can. I can. It's Polonic. Bonnie, do you want to see if I want to pronounce it? No. Paul, is, <laughs> <laughs> Paul is, is that your total impression of, of uh, chapter six through ten? Yeah, I just I see now why Angelina Jolie left him. Again, not Brad Pitt. All right, so uh, let's head to Sherman Oaks, where Tony Anita Hall is going to share her feelings about chapter six through ten. You know, I'm really loving this book. Like I look wow. forward to reading it each week. It's it's bloody. It's weird as hell. It's the I don't trust this Marla Tyler thing never being in the same room. What's that about? That's weird. Yeah, I don't know. Something's fishy about that. But anyway, no, I I'm I'm really loving it. I think it's really interesting. I did not think I would like this book, but it's my favorite book we've read thus far. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'll tell you, I, I, we still don't know the narrator's name, but he's so uh-huh. lucky that he's not manipulated by Tyler. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think you want to punch me in the face? Do you think you want to punch someone in the face? Is it me? <laughs> I called with some good news. <laughs> the hole in your face is never going to heal. Oh, yeah, they do a weird thing where Tyler kisses the the narrator's hand and he leaves saliva on there and then he pours lye on top of it. And so it's this sort of raised lip, sort of a weird burning tattoo. Branding, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Maybe a little territorial there. Fascinating. All right. Wow. Well, now we're going to head up to the Simi Valley where Bonnie Burns is probably going to talk about anything other than Fight Club right now. Go ahead, Bonnie. No, I was prepared to talk about Fight Club. However, I knew when we got off the phone last night, Paula and I, that she was going to work me over. I knew she was upset, but I have to say this, okay? This is an example. Okay, here's what I have to say. You know, Paula and I- Before you begin, is it good news? (laughs) I'm going to warn you before you get started here that we're in the middle of book club and you risk a censure by not talking about the book. (laughs) Okay, well, I have to say this because I can't just, you know, it's like sitting and acting like everything's okay. And I'm not saying it's not okay, but I just want to say this part. Paula and I agreed when I started managing her that... That you would con me as much as you possibly could. No, that's not true. (laughs) That information I got was your information and you needed to know it, okay? I agree, but you don't begin by saying, I have good news, you've sold 3% of tickets. No, because you have not (laughs) explained this conversation the way it happened, which was... (laughs) 
Were we having a conversation before about how COVID was affecting ticket sales and you know, you could see, okay, just wait a minute. You could see, like, you know, the houses weren't full. Then I got sent the ticket counts from our agent, and it turned out. And suddenly, 3% no. sounded like good news to you. Yeah, no, because it was good news. And I and don't think these it was 3% of not a large venue. So basically, it was one woman's arm and a leg. You know, taking them out of context my point was the good news was i'd gotten all these counts from all these dates and they were really great counts and you even had dates where the person said we've sold more tickets with paula than anybody else we've had here yeah that yeah. said then i was filling you jim brewer on. performed to two percent <laughs> that said i was filling you in on oh. the whole picture oh which yeah was there's yeah. these dates yeah. One date wasn't selling, and then there was this date that you always do great. Okay, the I one said, that wasn't selling, that wasn't a 3%, was it? <laughs> no. <laughs> that one's called like gangbusters. It was the one where you normally do great. I hereby move to censure Bonnie Burns. Uh, yes. For defying the rules of book club. Do I have a second? Censure Bonnie Burns. Now she's hostile toward me. Bonnie, you've been censured. So so let it be said. Throw her out of the fight club. <laughs> Throw her out. Oh, my God. Okay, I've used my time. This is exactly why Brad Pitt wouldn't shower with you. This is exactly why. Okay. This is why, oh, this is why you had to settle for Topol. <laughs> <laughs> Bonnie, I, against my better judgment... Do you have anything you want to say about those chapters of Fight Club? <laughs> no, because I feel like, okay, that guy had a really a really tragic personal life. His parents divorced at 14, and his dad, when he was a little kid, saw his grandfather shoot his grandmother, and then he said to the kid, I'm going to shoot you. No, that's not in this book. It what are you talking about? <laughs> and then... The writer's father, and he was young, uh, saw the grandfather. I object. I object. This is not about the book. <laughs> no, saw his father kill himself. So he started off bad. Yeah, this is not about the book. I'm giving you background on a guy who's writing really interesting stuff. That is just fascinating. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm not going to be able to sleep. Okay. With that... With oh, our first God. censure of the new book, uh, I am now calling Book Club <laughs> to a close. Paula, I wondered, are you interested in maybe sharing some stuff that might expand our vocabularies on this show? Um, there, I was thinking, Adam, I could tell you a word. That's a good idea, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, if you want to, would you like to share that with us now and maybe work it into a song or a sketch? I would. The ball's not in my hand anymore. I threw it across the yard. Would you like to bring it back to me? <laughs> um, Do I have to sit through all this, this shit for the whole show? <laughs> Probably for the whole year, Bobby, but yes. No, it won't. Don't forget, we're going to close out with mailbag delayed oh Captain Crinkle edition. So you're in the gun sights right now. They don't know the half about Captain Crinkle. Um, all right, I do have a word. 
And okay. oh my gosh, wait a minute. Senator Bernie Sanders just walked in. Oh, yay. Hello, Adam. Uh, uh, compass head. Uh, buddy. Uh, <laughs> Hello, Senator. To to Tony Anita Hull. Uh, I hear Tony Anita Hull is going on another cruise. Uh, well, that's quite a decision. Uh, but I guess if we all believed in science, the world would be a very dull place. Uh, buffet away, my friend. Uh, Paula does have a word. And I stopped by today because I am aware that Paula has come under criticism from some listeners, not all, uh, for bringing politics onto the podcast and sometimes into her shows. In her defense, politics is everything, especially now. We have a system in this country of exchanging ideas, arguing, yes, arguing, and voting about how we are going to live as a group. And that's what allows us to live largely in peace with one another. We must strive towards fairness using our political system every day. You cannot extricate the vocabulary word from politics, especially because this week's word is mendacity. It's a noun that means untruthfulness. Today's Republican Party is so rooted in mendacity that it is no longer viable. If the Republican Party was a baseball team, they'd be called the mendacity. Remember that movie from the 80s, Sex, Lies, and Videotape? They are making a remake about the Republican Party called Lies, Lies, and Mendacity. Uh, Senator Sanders, would you like to sing the vocabulary song? Uh, hold on, I'll just get my uh, my Glock for you. Uh, in, in, in fact, Paula, I, I would. Um, here we go. Wait. This week's word is mendacity. It's a noun that means untruthfulness. Mitch McConnell has done his best to make a big mess. Last week's word was solipsistic. It's an adjective that means of or relating to solipsism, a theory in philosophy that your existence is the only thing that is real or that can be known tremendously selfish in tone. The week before that, the word was preponderance. It's a noun that means the state of being greater in number. Most jacks want to chop lumber. Going back before that, the word was amnesic. It's a noun or an adjective that means experiencing or relating to a partial or total loss of memory. It happened a lot to Victoria Barclay on the Big Valley. And not long ago, the word was palanquin. It's a noun that means a covered litter for one passenger consisting of a large box carried on two horizontal poles by four or six bearers, not a mode of transportation for really great sharers. Let's never forget Gallimaufry, which Paula pronounced wrong until nobody James Haida corrected her. It's a noun that means confused jumble or medley of things. Hodgepodge, who's podge, hodgepodge. Adam doesn't think her song is replicable, replicable, replicable. But I do, I do, I do, I do. Bernie does. Yay, 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 yay. yay.
Uh, thank you very much, uh, Senator Sanders. Uh, one more thing, Adam, if Tony Anita Hull uh, uh, can use this week's word, mendacity, uh, correctly in a sentence on three occasions during this episode, I will personally give dollars worth of advertising to Karma Bookstore and Social Hub at 132 North 2nd Street in Flint, Michigan. No, West. West 132, uh, pardon me, pardon me. Uh, 132 <laughs> West 2nd Street. Yeah, I didn't think there was a North. You know, I spent a lot of time in Flint. But uh, thank, thank you, Senator Sanders. Oh, you're, so, you so are practically, Adam Felber, you are practically synonymous with Flint, as you yeah. are with politics, where I know that you have spent most of your life involved in politics. Well, in fact, I have, Senator Sanders. Uh, nobody around here believes me. You know, I interesting that you say that because I have been in politics myself for many, many years, and I've yet to see you at one event. <laughs> wow, because Senator Sanders, we've in fact met about eight or nine times. Good to see you again. Good to see you again. <laughs> Senator Sanders, thank you so, so much for doing the vocabulary song and giving Tony her challenge. Uh, I really appreciate it. It sounded great, by the way. Can you show yourself out? Uh, okay. Uh, thank you. Sorry to be rude. Thank you so much. Bye, oh, Senator Sanders. Bye. Bye, bye Bernie. Bye. Thanks thank for you. coming. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Senator. Goodbye, compass head. <laughs> coming up. Frank Lloyd Wright said, simplicity and repose are the qualities that measure the true value of any work of art. And then he blew a million bucks on a line drawing of a dude napping. We'll talk about the fine art of fine art appraisal when we come back. Hey, Paula, it's been almost a year now since I got my Helix mattress. And as you remember, there was some drama surrounding Helix mattresses. Because oh, when oh my Helix gosh. first sponsored us, Bonnie took the mattress and yeah. she's been loving it. But finally, I got my chance to get a Helix mattress and I sleep so well. I mean, the family bed is where we all gather. We watch movies in, in our room occasionally and everybody just piles on it and it it's comfy. And yet when one person hops on, the other half of the mattress doesn't fly up. I'm a fan. Well, you know, Adam, everybody is unique and everyone sleeps differently. That's why Helix has several different mattress models to choose from, each designed for specific sleep positions and feel preferences. Models with memory foam layers to provide optimal pressure relief if you sleep on your side. Models with a more responsive foam to cradle your body for essential support in stomach and back sleeping positions plus enhanced cooling features to keep you from overheating at night. And if your spine needs some extra TLC, they got you. Every Helix mattress has a hybrid design combining individually wrapped steel coils in the base with premium foam layers on top. It is the perfect combination of comfort and support. I agree with that last bit. I don't get all the technical stuff about the mattress, but it is soft and supportive. Helix offers 20 unique mattresses, the award-winning Lux, which I got, and ultra-premium Elite Collections, the Helix Plus, a mattress designed for big and tall sleepers, and the Helix Kids mattress designed for growing bodies and endorsed by child sleep experts, and my daughter now wants one. So, how will you know which Helix mattress works best for you and your body? You go to their website, take the Helix Sleep Quiz, and you find your perfect mattress batch in under two minutes. You know, when you said you can't follow all the technical stuff, it's really not that technical. You know, uh, no matter what way you sleep, they have a mattress that will support and comfort you. 
How hard is that? Uh, you know, when you say it that way, it seems a lot simpler. I take it back. That's my boner. And your personalized mattress is shipped straight to your door, free of charge. And Helix knows there's no better way to test out a new mattress than by sleeping on it in your own home. That's why they offer a 100-night trial and a 10- to 15-year warranty to try out your new Helix mattress. Well, I like that there's a warranty, but they can pry that mattress from my cold, dead hands. I took the sleep quiz. I was matched with the Helix Midnight Lux. I got the Lux. And I love it. It is such an upgrade from my old mattress. You know, I think Bonnie got the Midnight Lux. She did. Too. Yeah. You're not here. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to take Adam's word for it? Well, you got Bonnie's word. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It's even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Your Sleepy Time Pal Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. That's a lot, and it's already not that expensive a mattress. Go to helixsleep.com slash Paula. That's helixsleep.com slash Paula. This is their best offer yet. It's fantastic. It won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Well, not right now. And if you're going to get it anyway, use our code. Hey, Paula, you know, every once in a while we get a new advertiser that I get super excited about. And I have to say, just because of the circumstances of my life right now, I'm really excited about our new advertiser, Quince of Quince.com, the clothing provider. Not to be mistaken for Quince from Midsummer Night's Dream. And let me just say this, and maybe it's not important to an advertisement, but when I was in the fourth grade, our class put on a production of a midsummer night's dream okay and i played i played peter quince there there's the connection one of the mechanicals that's a great connection also yes has nothing to do with this which is that um quince is an online clothing store and as you know paula i've uh, i've lost a little weight lately oh right 75 pounds yeah so i literally have no clothes that are in my size until i just ordered some stuff at quince and i figured like here's a chance for me to create a new look for myself a whole new image. And how's it going? Not bad. I mean, the clothes are fantastic. I know that you ordered some too. What I got is I got yes. the Comfort Stretch Traveler five pocket pants. And I got oh. the, um, oh, it's so, and I got the 100% European linen shirt and it looks breezy and it fits beautifully. And these are like premium pieces of clothing that are selling for like, you know, $30 a piece or starting at $30 at quince.com. It's awesome. I look good. I ordered the brushed lounge jogger Ooh. and you know i put them on when i came back from new york i pulled them on and i i swear to you okay this is not scientific because i was tired already right but they were so soft <laughs> and, and so comfortable that honestly like right as i got them up to my waist i i I think my eyes closed they're so it's a softness it's a kind of softness that I don't think I've ever experienced in a garment, honestly. You know, my uh, drawstring European linen trousers are a little bit like that, too. Like, so comfortable that I just want to hang out with myself. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they're European. Keep that in mind. Uh, oh, European. they are so European. And you can get those kinds. Of, you can get washable silk tops. You can get 14-karat uh, gold jewelry and, like, all these accessories. Quince sells a lineup of timeless pieces that keep their customers looking effortlessly chic year after year. I'm not certain that I look chic, but certainly if I did, it's not going to take a lot of effort. 
I now look chic and I feel pretty great. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabric. It's all good as far as I can see. Is it my imagination or do they cut out the middleman? They cut out the middleman, Paula Poundstone. I love it when they cut out the middleman. That's the thing. They cut out the middleman. <laughs> That's fantastic. So be like me and Paula. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash nobody for free shipping on your order and a 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash nobody to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash nobody. And honestly, I look fantastic. Paula, you won't be able to keep your hands off me. Oh, I can't wait. And don't <laughs> think that if you had to return something, don't think you're sending it to a middleman because they cut out the middleman. They man. cut out the middleman. That's quince.com slash nobody. And if you're going to do it anyway, use our code. On this day in unremarkable history, Dorothy Gerber said, you can just set the table with spoons. We won't be needing knives or forks. <laughs> All right. Thank you, house band Adam McDonough. Paula Poundstone, Yay! you look like you have something on your mind. You know, Adam, the other day, you know how my dog Mo does a lot of pranks? Yes, well, that dog day, is a scamp. She, she really is. I, I, I yeah. come in the house the other day and there's a bare spot on the wall where there used to be a framed original animated cell from the Walt Disney movie, The Jungle Book. It was a painting of Mowgli sitting in a tree. So, of course, I freaked out. First of all, I love that cell. And secondly, it's valuable. So I ended up having to trade Mo a brand new squeaky tennis ball to get her to go get that uh, cell for me. And I know you shouldn't pay ransom, but I did. And I think it was worth a squeaky tennis ball. But who decides what art is worth? And and how does one decide what art is worth? Well, that's that's a it's crazy that that's where that incident brought you, Paula, because I was thinking of inviting an expert on blackmail and ransoms to the show, but I didn't. And who we have right here is an expert in the subject of Art appraisal. No. Yeah. I can't believe it. Kenneth Zwire Anderson is the president of Anderson Fine Art Appraisals and a certified appraiser with the Appraisers Association of America. Please welcome Kevin Zwire Anderson. Yay! Welcome. Very nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for being here. Uh, so, all right, let me begin with this very basic question. Kevin, if I had a big, beautiful painting of a forest-lined path at sunrise with a boy and a dog way down the path, but I had no receipt for it, and there was no record of the artist, would it be appraised by the current cost of paint and a canvas? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it could be. When we when I look at a piece of art as as an as an appraiser, you know, I'm being asked obviously to to put a value on it. But how do we arrive at that value? There's a there's a number of different ways to do that. We don't know who the artist is, and but we look at it and we go, is that a really great painting? And by that I mean, you know, is the boy beautifully drawn? Is the landscape full of interesting detail and perspective? You know. You can take a generic subject and it can be pretty boring, or you can take a subject like that and it can be extraordinary. Is it an old painting? Was it painted 
in the 19th century, in the 18th century, there have been little boys running through landscapes for hundreds of years. So even though you may not know who the artist is, the actual quality of the work matters a lot. And appraisers are supposedly knowledgeable enough that they can look at a painting and decide if the quality is good. And that's what connoisseurship is. It's, it's understanding, having looked at a lot of little boys running through landscapes, and saying, okay, I understand what makes a, a good one versus a bad one. Um, now, if I collect art for investment, am I better off buying an artist that's going to die soon? Because then he can't, he or she can't do it again, yeah, right? But e so yeah, but even, but even bad artists can make a lot of art, right? So, you know, it isn't, it isn't just about them dying soon and stopping production. It's about the kind of art that they've created up until the point that they're creaking along and just about to keel over, right? So they, <laughs> they, have to have, they have to have done, for an artist to be important, Paula, they have to have done something really, um, uh, really unique, something that changes art history a, a little bit. And, you know, we can think of some artists, uh, big, big names that have done that. Obviously, you know, the giant of the 20th century is Picasso. But David Hockney, for example, is 80-something years old. And in fact, his art is, is, is expensive across all media now. Paintings, uh, you know, prints, everything. People are, are, are winding up and waiting for him to die. So your point is really, yep, yeah, absolutely. So your point is is absolutely well taken, um, but that only applies to certain artists. But but that's because David Hockney has had an amazing, illustrious career and has done fantastic work forever. His work was already on the rise, but is even more so because people are definitely are thinking the time is coming, and he smokes still, David Hockney. Wow. Yeah. Maybe he. Maybe he smokes to purposely increase the value of his paintings. I, could, I, I think that's very possible. He's driving yeah. it up. He's driving the price yeah. up. Yeah. Speaking <laughs> of driving, he probably hasn't given up his keys, and he probably um, does a lot of videos of, of, of chopping vegetables with really sharp knives. Um, have, you, have you ever appraised <laughs> items that were very high value one year, and when you next appraised them? Because, like, I've had some stuff appraised, and uh, and you have to do it for insurance purposes. You have to do it every X amount of years. Yeah. I forget what. Yeah. But um, ha have you ever appraised something that was very high one year, and then when you next appraised them, they had dropped in value? Oh yeah, that absolutely because because collecting art is like is there's a pendulum of taste that swings, and and you know for a period of a decade or more. Um, you know, 19th century art, um, European paintings, of which I, I know quite a bit about, was very popular. These were, you know, kind of realistic paintings of shepherds and shepherdesses and, uh, um, you know, interiors beautifully rendered um, you know, depictions of bourgeoisie life. Um, so you know, right before the Impressionist. Yes, of right before the Impressionist. And thank you very much, Adam. And they, so, and they were bringing uh, record prices right along, by the way, with English, beautiful English furniture and all kinds of other, you know, kind of traditional furnishings all the way up until about the financial crisis of 2008. 
And then that school, as well as all of the accompanying um, uh, decorative objects, really just fell off a cliff. People just stopped collecting it. And a whole new generation came along who really don't look at any art that was created after Andy Warhol. That's what you're seeing now. I mean, the art market has really moved on from um, it, um, 19th century and impressionist art. I mean, it still sells. But it's the contemporary art market now that is garnering all of the attention. The new generation, they're all in, well, forget about contemporary art. I mean, don't even get me started on NFTs, which I know nothing about, but, but which are now, you know, everyone's talking about blockchain and, and art on the, um, on the web. So it's always swinging. So the, but Paula, to answer directly, absolutely. I've appraised paintings that one, that not, year to year, but over five years have lost probably 50% of their value easily. So this is a great time to pick up a bargain Renoir. You know what? You got to buy when it's low. Absolutely. And that's what that's what a lot of people, the, it will swing back. I don't know when it will, but sure, buy low and sell high. I mean, that's a, that's an old rule. So if I can get my hands on a uh, girl with a hoop, I should, I should take it. Absolutely. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. 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 A girl with a bucket. Um, <laughs> once you appraise something that's now dropped in value X years later, yeah. do you, do your customers stop using you after that? Do, do they blame you? Uh, hopefully not. I mean, it's never good. It's never good to be the bearer of, of, of bad news. That's why you got to call up and say you have good news. Well, you know, now remember that the appraiser <laughs> and art appraiser, you know, actually isn't involved in the transaction. So it's the art dealer or the auction house who may get the 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 lion's share of the wrath from the from the buyer, because I'm just uh, you know I'm just reporting on what the facts are. I you know I didn't tell them to buy the work. I didn't convince them that that was the acquisition that they should have. They made that decision, and I'm just telling them what the market is saying about that work today. Uh, so that's, that's are my job. All these the excuses are all the, is all this self-defense on your business card? <laughs> all my, indemni all my indemnifications. So, you know, so you, yeah. you know what? I absolutely have, have, have clients, um, sign contracts when they work with me. And one of the things is you can't sue me, uh, except for gross negligence. If I'm, you know, completely out of bounds and have told you a, uh, the price for something, which you then find out was was wildly understated or overstated, yeah, you have a case. But otherwise, no, you're not you're not allowed to sue me for for uh, for my valuation. But what if you accidentally put your foot through their Renoir self portrait? Then. <laughs> <laughs> Then they have a case, I think. Um, now, let me ask you this. Did you personally take a beating over Beanie Babies? No, I didn't. <laughs> Do you invest in art? Uh... I have a collection. Yes, yes, I do. And I'm very partial, actually, to um, Picasso etchings and lithographs. I have, I have a number of those. Uh, and yeah, some other things tucked away. Sure, I've been in the art business for a lot of years, so I've 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 put a so few. So how's things. your portfolio? Are you buying it because you think it's going to go up in value, or are you buying it because these are things that you love? And also, how has the value of your collection changed over the years? Well, you know, I think that's the thing that that people forget when they when they collect art is that is that the dividend that art really pays you is that you're hopefully 
you know, getting joy out of it every day, like Paula gets out of her Mowgli cell, you know. Uh, you know, the, the dividend you get is when you come home, you get hopefully, you know, lost in, you know, a work of art for, for 30 seconds or five minutes, and it, it makes your day a little bit brighter. I think that, you know, anyone can collect art and, and, and at least do fairly well if they follow a few simple rules. The first one is love it, because then no matter what, you know, you're ahead of the game. Two, do a lot of looking uh, before you start buying. Buy, buy within your budget so you don't feel that you've, you've overspent and then you have a resentment towards the work if it doesn't appreciate. Um, and, you know, buy art with a little bit of a track record. I mean, I think it's all well and good to buy contemporary art. But you don't know, you know, today's darling is 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 tomorrow's stick in the mud. And artists who are, <laughs> you know, who are lifted up to incredible heights, and that's happening right now. And it's, it's actually, I think, a terrible burden on a young artist, because think about it. If you're a young artist and you've produced work, and the work all of a sudden sells at auction for $250,000 or $500,000, how motivated are you going to be as that young artist to experiment and start to do different work? Wow. Now you've got yeah, yeah. all these people invested in a particular kind of art that you've done. It's a like, like an actor being cast in a role and getting lots of, you know, applause for it and then being afraid to take a role that's wildly different, you know. And so these right. artists now are locked in to, to kind of continuing this style when maybe they have, and that's all a function of, uh, of the money. So it can be a very difficult thing for young, young artists to have success too soon. Well, you know, Warren Buffett said, price is what you pay, value is what you get. But I think he stole that from a Piggly Wiggly sales circular. More about art when we come back. The Cat of the Week is Little Yellow from Grass Valley, California. Hey, it's just me, Paula Poundstone. Yes, from Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone. And the recently released comedy album, Paula Poundstone Goes to College for One Night. Wait, you've never heard of the recently released comedy album, Paula Poundstone Goes to College for One Night? How is that possible? It's available on all digital platforms worldwide. That means all over the world. They listen to it to loosen things up at the UN, I think. It was recorded originally for an HBO special, but this is the first time it's available as an album. I talk about sex, so that part goes quick. I talk about jobs, cats, health, and trying to figure out life. But the best part, the very best part, is just plain talking to the audience. Paula Poundstone goes to college for one night. Available worldwide. No more of this America first shit. And we're back talking art appraisal with art appraiser Kevin Zwire Anderson. Paula? Kevin, has the internet made art appraisal easier? Um, like, what what steps would you go through to appraise my animation cell of Mowgli in a tree? I think he's with Ka. 
there is a number of um, there are a number of databases that you can subscribe to. In fact, anybody can subscribe to them. Um, some of the mo- the best known ones are ArtNet, ArtPrize, AskArt. And basically, there are little gnomes sitting in a room somewhere who are keeping track of every single thing that sells at auction. And so you can pay a monthly fee and log in, and you could type in Walt Disney sells. And it would take you to a menu that you could then search further, and you could type in Mowgli. And all the Mowgli sells that have sold at Disney auctions um, over the past 20 years will come up. And you can organize those by um, price, um, by when they sold, from high to low, from low to high. And then um, so you will then have an entire spreadsheet. um, That is, if your work has sold at auction, not all things sell at auction. Auction is only one selling venue, if you will. And the other thing you could do is you could uh, look on the Internet under Disney Galleries and you could call up these galleries and say, hey, do you have a Mowgli sell? You do? Well, what what is your selling for? So, you know, part of it's very easy if it's if it's a thing that's sold at auction. But the other thing you can do is just kind of, you know, pick up the phone and start calling people who buy and sell those things. And that that's that's my process when I'm appraising. I've got to look at all the different markets that something would likely sell in get all the prices, look at them and say, okay, here's what seems to make sense. Have you ever done that thing where you discovered greater value in an item than the owner knew it to have? Actually, kind of some of the most interesting things are are when you go into um, a house where someone has passed away and the heirs are there and you're doing the walkthrough, you know, for the first time. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you're going through and you're saying, oh, yeah, that's a great painting. That's a great painting. And then you look at something that's hanging in the hallway and you say, oh, my God, did you know that that is a, you know, probably an original drawing by Vasily Kandinsky? And, you know, the the heirs have no idea. It turns out to be the most valuable thing in the house. And and they had no idea. So, sure. Um, I mean, thing, things like things like that, they've happened to me with some regularity. I mean, I'm sure the the converse happens too because uh, when my my mom passed away, thinking that she was leaving us like I don't know, maybe hundreds of thousands, if not millions, in art, yes. and it re- really wasn't the case. What happens is that stories get passed down from family members. Oh yeah, Grandma said this was you know she dated Picasso, and she told me that you know she told your grandfather that you know after her and Picasso had a cocktail, you know that Picasso gave her this you know all these stories which are completely apocryphal. They they become family legend and. People are bitterly disappointed when you come in and you say, sorry, that's not a Picasso. That's a, you know, that's a reproduction or that's that's something else. This is exactly why I don't trust family. I, these kinds of stories. Yeah. Yeah. They'll screw you over in the end. That's what I say. Uh, yeah. um, wow. That would be a horrible thing. Do you know there were two different, at least two, maybe even three, but at least two that I can think of off the top of my head, Perry Mason episodes that were about painting and artists. And one of them was a famous, there was a forger involved and, and then another, you know, uh, uh, the appraisal. You, have you seen those episodes? 
I haven't seen those episodes, but I, I certainly am aware of forgeries. And I, and, you yeah, know, so let's, I, let's get into that. How do, you, how do you tell when you're looking at a fraud? It isn't always easy to tell. And actually, recent, recent news is, is a testament to that. I don't know if, if any of you followed what happened with the Nodler scandal, but you know, one of, no. the, one of the most prestigious galleries in New York for years was selling you know, major abstract expressionist works by people like Pollock and Motherwell and Diebenkorn. And it turns out that a little Chinese man was painting them in a basement in Queens. And wow, absolutely. And what and and it was millions and millions of dollars and was a huge court case. And, you know, there's this strange thing that happens not only not only in 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 politics and, and other realms of life, but also in the art world where you get this thing called confirmation bias. And, you know, you take a big prestigious gallery and you put a fake in that gallery surrounded by supposedly very knowledgeable people and you get one or two experts to say that it's right and people stop looking behind the curtain. And in, in, in the case of this Nodler scandal, they should have done some scientific testing. You know, there's a way if you're if something is supposed to be painted in the 1950s. You can test that canvas and you can find out if the if the materials that were used, the canvas and, and the pigments were were extant in the 1950s. You know, and if you if you do the testing, you find out that there's pigment that was manufactured after 1950, you know, it's got to be a fake. And they could have done that in this case, but they didn't because they had a couple of the most you know, celebrated experts say, oh, no, that's absolutely right. And then they went on to, to sell fakes by this guy for years. So it can happen. Well, how did they receive them? So if there's a guy that's churning out yeah, you know, yeah. these paintings, don't you? Have, uh, yeah, I mean, because how there was, many? Because, because you know what? You know what, Paula? One of the things that sells art more effectively than anything else is the story that goes with it. Why does why mm -hmm. do people want to buy a Van Gogh? Well, they love Van Gogh and they've got to be very wealthy, but they love the story of Van Gogh, right? The artist, the, the crazy inspired lust of life, the ear, all the stories that go with it. Well, what happened in this case was a very sophisticated Spanish woman showed up to the gallery and says, you know, I represent this very important collector, and but he's very reclusive and very secretive. And he's had these works for 50 years, and he got them from his lover, who was a count in South America. Oh. And and no one has seen these, and I've just got three of them here, and, and take a look. And she wove this story that got, you know, it was a con. It was a con. Yeah. And yeah. nobody noticed she was blowing on them to dry them. Exactly, you know, exactly. Right. They should have. You're right, Adam. They should have sniffed the uh, the, <laughs> the the paintings, and they they probably smelled like they were painted yesterday. But but nobody did. I think there's something else though that should have been a tell for these people with this collector that was the dealer that brought these paintings to the gallery mm -hmm. when she said also. Your warranty is about to run out. And if you call this number right oh, now, yeah. that should have been a tell. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What was the most exciting thing you've ever appraised 
The most exciting thing I've ever praised. Oh my God. Um, or one of the most. One of the most exciting things that I've ever praised, I guess, would have to be there is a Monet um, that I appraised a few years ago that um, has not been seen. And I really can't talk about the details too, too much because actually one of the things that I, I had to do in appraising this painting was to, to sign a non-disclosure agreement. Um, oh. But which which happens all the time, by the way, uh, celebrity clients, all kinds of people, you know, you, they don't want pe other people knowing what they've got or what it's worth. And so the so do you want to say that it was a monet so that that kind of covers? <laughs> no, I can say I can say it was a monet. But the, the reason why it was very exciting is because this monet was part of, you know, the term impressionism comes from one painting and it was actually a derogatory term that a critic used to describe Monet's painting called Impression Sunrise, which was painted in 1875. And that critic went into the show where it was hanging and said, that's nothing but an impression. That's not a real painting. That's just an impression of a painting. Oh. And that's actually how, <laughs> that is actually how the, the, the term impressionism was invented. It was an insult. It was an insult. That's right. And the paint, the Monet that I appraised, uh, and there were only five paintings by Monet in this Impressionist exhibition. And Impression Sunrise was one of them. This painting that I appraised was one of the other four. Wow. And nobody's seen it yet? Well, people know know that it exists, but I mean, I got to look at this painting, uh, you know, alone uh and 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 do some of that some I, I recognized it pretty shortly for what it was but it's stuff like that that if you're an art historian and you and you care about uh you know the history of things and kind of where they where they fall in the timeline it's a real privilege to be able to to, to appraise something like that yeah that sounds really exciting yeah it was all right let me ask you one more one other thing which is um, do you have any advice to art appreciators out there who might be, you know, looking to buy stuff or, you know, what are people missing nowadays about art? Well, one of the things, I mean, one of the things that, that, that we've all been missing for the last couple of years is, is seeing art in person. You know, what makes me think about this most recently was there going around the country right now are these immersive Van Gogh exhibits. Have you heard about these where you, where no. you go in and they are, they are basically projecting Van Gogh images in inside of rooms and they give you little souvenirs and whatever. The reason I'm saying is, is I, I, I would rather go and sit in, in the Getty museum where they have, you know, the Iris is painting one of the most sublime you know, paintings of flowers ever done by anybody and sit and just look at it in person. I think what people need to do are, are get back, get back out, support our museums, support our galleries by, by actually going places and looking at the art in person. I think we're, I think we're in danger right now of, of only looking at art on our screens and on our phones. And one of the great things that art does is that it's something that should be experienced in person. So the sooner we get back to that, the better. Um, and the more you do that, 
the more you see art in person, the more you start to become a connoisseur yourself, the more you start to be able to make distinctions about what, you know, what something is just, you know, incredible when something is good or when something is bad. And you only do that if you make the time for yourself to look. Um, certainly, uh, looking online is a head start, but nothing replaces seeing things in person. And I hope we can get back to that soon. I do too. So get your vaccinations, people. Mask up. Yeah, vax up. Well, Kevin, that was excellent. Uh, now we're going to take all this hot information you gave us and run it through the old pounce-tonator. Paula? House band Adam McDonough on the guitar, thank you so much for providing such fabulous music on this episode. If I could ask you to indulge me with just a little more of it, I could use some background music to tell you what the old pounce-tonator spit out. Kevin's Wire Anderson, this has been quite an education. Thank you for helping us develop a keen eye for art appraisal. Did you disable the alarm? Yeah, I disabled the alarm. What about the security guard? Yeah, I disabled him too. What are we doing at the gardener again? Grab that painting. Not this again. <laughs> Which painting? The Monette. I think it's pronounced Monet. And you know, there's not much of a market for older paintings anymore. No. No, the younger collectors like the more modern art. So don't steal anything that you don't really love because it won't necessarily increase in value. Shh, I think I hear someone coming. All right, not so loud. What were you saying? The pendulum of taste has swung towards the more contemporary art. I don't know anything about contemporary art. I want the monet. <laughs> you mean the monet. Well, for an artist to be important, he or she has to have changed at history. A quality painting has interesting detail and perspective, and a contemporary artist's work can have more value if he or she smokes or just isn't careful. Would you just grab the fucking monet before the cops come? Monet! Look, you can boost the monet with the dick dotty flowers, but who are you gonna show it to? People are familiar with Monet. He's a very famous artist. You'll get caught. Or you could get that contemporary painting of a blue square painted by an artist who I happen to know rides around on those electric scooters without a helmet. If you want the Monet, I'll take the Monet. But ask yourself, do you love it? <laughs> He is the president of Anderson Fine Art Appraisals, Kevin Zwire Anderson. Thank you so much. Yay! Thank you. Yay! Kevin, thank you so much. This was wonderful. That was so interesting. Thank you. Thank you, Paula. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, everybody. Uh, and um, maybe, you know, listen, maybe we'll do a part two one day. You never know. I'm available if you are. I would love that. Coming up. Stop, children. What's that sound? Everybody knows what's going down. It's mailbag delayed Captain Crinkle edition coming up next. Fun fact, crocodiles cannot stick their tongues out, which is why they generally have to rely on sarcasm. Oh, and biting your face off. That works, too.
Thank you, Adam McDonough, our house band tonight. And Paula, you're responsible for this, but I get to say it unless you want to preempt me. Next week, we have a very exciting guest appearing on the show. We do. Yes. <laughs> All right. I'll tell everybody then. <laughs> Go ahead. It's Henry Winkler, the Fonz. Henry Winkler will be with us next week. Yeah, the Fonz himself. You might have enjoyed him on Arrested Development, too, or as that fantastic acting teacher on Barry, which is a big hit in this household. Or from the movie Holes, he's the smell of the shoe guy. That's true. <laughs> or from the movie Night Shift, he's the guy who isn't Michael Keaton. That's him. That's a good movie. <laughs> that is a good movie. Yeah. Yeah. Although I was never able to buy Shelley Long as a prostitute. Just couldn't do it. Oh, well, you can now. <laughs> All right, Paula, you know what it's time for. Oh, boy. <laughs> I just love Tony's sigh of resignation when she heard that clock. Oh, I'm so excited. Like, this is happening again. Yes, it is time for Mailbag. Delayed cap. Thank you. Delayed Captain Crinkle edition. See, it was delayed. So the reason that this is delayed um, is that um, the real the reason that mailbag yes is delayed. Why is it delayed? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> um, the, the reason that mailbag is delayed is because um, we uh, we ran so long with with the great Billy Jean King last week that we weren't able to get to our own feminist icon on the show, Captain Crinkle, as oh. featured in Mailbag. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. And, and, and Captain Crinkle, Bonnie Burns, we love you to death, and so do our listeners, at least some of them do, and they all have stuff to say about you. Okay. There you go. <laughs> Captain Crinkle, are you crinkling now? It sounds like it. I crinkled. Yeah. You didn't hear it? You're always complaining that I make noise. Yeah. Yeah. That's because you're always making noise. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, we wouldn't be complaining about it. Oh, it's not like gosh. some kind of conspiracy. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I got it. I got it. What? We got a crinkle. We got a crinkle. No. We got a crinkle. Crinkle, 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 crinkle. You can see how very much like Billy Jean King, Bonnie Burns yeah. has moved women forward yeah. in our march that, to that, equality. Thank you, Bonnie. Absolutely. And that, what what moves women forward more than stealing the melody from comedy tonight? Um, all right, so we're going to... And by the way, if we're complaining about crinkling, let him without a glockenspiel in their hand cast the first stone. <laughs> Anyway, Tony Anita Hull, move on up to the mic and give us the first installment from Mailbag. Delayed Captain Crinkle edition. Okay, here we go. <laughs> this is already chaos. Um, hello, team. I'm on a plane to see my family for Thanksgiving, and the woman sitting next to me is reading Eat, Pray, Love. Oh, my gosh. I sang my best rendition of Captain Crinkle's best Gilbert-inspired theme song, but the light bulb of recognition did not ignite over her head. So as far as I'm concerned, she's a total nobody for not being a nobody. XOXO Drew Bowles. Oh. Wow. 
Yay, Drew. So, so Drew was flying on a plane. The person beside her was reading Eat, Pray, Love, and she sang Bonnie's theme song? Yes. Bonnie, do you recall, was it the book club theme song, or did you have specifically an Eat, Pray, Love theme song? Because you and your theme songs have never really understood that concept. <laughs> you know, I'm pretty, pretty positive that she's doing Bookie, Bookie, Book Club, because I know it's popular. Many people have told me they can't get it out of their head. Yes, it's popular. It's popular. There's no doubt about it. You know, I fly a lot, of course, and I can hear what Drew is saying because coming from several different parts of the plane at several different times of the flight, I'll hear, bookie, bookie, bookie. (laughs) So this is not, not so unusual what Drew did. Thank you, Drew. Yeah, and, and you know what, Drew? I think Drew made the right choice because, you know, there's two reasons why somebody on a plane these days would be reading Eat, Pray, Love. One would be that there are nobody and Drew would want to talk to such a person. And the other would be that they genuinely want to read Eat, Pray, Love and Drew probably wouldn't want to talk to that person. No, there's a third reason. What? That they've cut out a, 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 a hole inside the book to hold their gun. <laughs> That big, that had to be a small gun. It's a, it's a small gun. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and by the way, Bonnie, I, I guess we need to mention on a more somber note. Now that Stephen Sondheim has passed on, he can't I even know. object to you using that melody anymore. Oh, I forgot he wrote that. I was thinking about. Well, I actually don't want to drop names, but I did produce the television version of Sweeney Todd, and I did you work did? with Sondheim. I did. Oh, and wow. I love saying, at last, my arm is alive. So <laughs> when he died, I thought, well, I guess I won't be saying that too much anymore. Maybe I hmm. still could. I don't know. He was. It was amazing to work with him. It was amazing. What, wasn't it, at last, my arm is complete or something like that? Oh, yeah. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> and I only sat through that play about 15 times by the time we edited it and everything. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's excellent. Yeah. yeah. It's, you know, it's the Bonnie Burns book of quotations. Yeah. I know I paraphrased a lot. And in oh, my yeah. vernacular, it's just kind of like, you know, I hit the area. <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> that's fair <laughs> yeah like, just like you hit the area earlier uh, as we talked about in this podcast uh by saying good news when you just kind of meant news yeah good news three percent you know what i thought of one more thing to say about this the hardest thing it is to do is like tell people the truth when it's not good news it would be much easier to just not say anything to her okay uh, yeah it's you, you not tell the hard truth what Okay, no, that's not the issue. The issue is... Oh, my God, Mom and Dad. ...that the way you got to it... Here we go. ...was by saying, I called with good news. If you could just lose that line, then... Okay. ...3% of ticket sales would just stand on its own. That isn't how I started. You guys, you guys are ruining Christmas. Oh, my God. Let's let's have the youngest member of our family okay. step up again and read for us. Tony Anita Hall. Little Tony Anita Hall, step up to the microphone. And, okay. And read the next letter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
Uh, <laughs> Bonnie is right now in a petri dish, becoming a Republican. Go ahead, Tony. Oh, oh. this is from Jeremy S. Love the show, Team Crinkle, but somebody's got to say it. All Zoom podcasts suck dog balls. There's no rapport. Everybody's just waiting on the other person to stop talking or just talking over everybody. Adam needs people the most. Get your asses vaccinated and back to Miranda Street. Stat. That's from Jeremy S. Wait a minute. Wow. Didn't he begin with love the show? Yeah. <laughs> um. So Jeremy loves... The sound of sucking dog balls, apparently. <laughs> Bonnie, did you write this for Jeremy? Good news. <laughs> <laughs> love, love the show. Tim Crinkle sucks dog balls. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Loves the show. <laughs> Jeremy, thank you, we think. Um, I agree with you, Jeremy. I, I miss being in the studio. I, I don't like the fact that we can't see each other and there's interruptions, so I hear you, Jeremy. It's not because we can't see each other. There is a funky little delay on Zoom, so yeah. sometimes we inadvertently interrupt each other. Although if Bonnie has good news, she doesn't care who's talking. She'll just blurt it out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, Tony, yeah. what else is there in the mailbag? Delayed Captain Crinkle edition. This is from Nobody Dan Grossman. Now I've got the book club theme song stuck in my head. I hope you're happy. <laughs> oh, see? Yeah. Damn it, Bonnie. Again, Bonnie co-wrote that one, and you have to give some props to the uh, to the late Stephen Sondheim. <laughs> no, but I think it's the bookie bookie book club that's really catchy now. <laughs> Yeah, if only Sondheim had thought of that. Yeah. Something for everyone. A comedy, 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 comedy tonight. Yeah, that would have worked a lot better. Yeah. Bookie, bookie, bookie. I'm telling you, the whole flight, I can just hear it in different places in the plane. Bookie, 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 book club. Yeah. All right. Thank Tony, you, Dan. Let's, let's keep going. Thanks, right. Dan. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Dan. Somebody has really enjoyed this week's show with the librarian. Note to Bonnie Burns. Bill Clinton is not the only man who likes Zoftig women. Scott Baker. Ooh. Ooh. So Scott Baker is suggesting that he he likes a wreck. Wait, the country or the or the uh, the chest based object? Either, either one. <laughs> he's, a, he's Scott Baker. He's a statesman and a womanizer. Um, so. Uh, yeah. Huh. Wow. That oh. seems like Scott Baker is uh, is kind of coming on to Bonnie Burns. That's nice, that Bonnie. Definitely does. Yeah. And Paula, I don't think it's just a rack. He's, you know, pinchable hips and thighs. Yeah. He's... <laughs> Thank you, Bonnie. <laughs> Bonnie, I, w I so wanted to say that when, when Paula said that. And I, and I felt like I couldn't. But... I can, I can count on you to jump in and go like, no, what about my butt? <laughs> Pinchable hips and thighs. Is that what zoftic means? Z zoftic means uh, curvy. Oh, I always thought it was just about breasts. Oh. No. 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 Pinchable. 
Pinchable okay. hips, hips and thighs. I had never heard of that. Well, I have a question for Adam. Since he said curvy. Yes. You'd think you'd have a question for Scott right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what if you're so pinchable that you don't have a waist anymore? You're that fat. <laughs> so does that still mean curvy? <laughs> Uh, you're right, Bonnie. I, I wrongly used the current euphemism for for Zoftik saying curvy when, in fact, um, Zoftik really does mean you've got copious flesh. You're fat. You're fat. I don't think it means that. I think it means you're not thin. It means having a full, rounded figure, plump, typically used of a woman. Yeah. Did you just Google that? I. She did. I knew she was Googling. I, I was just about to ask her because I knew she was Googling because she has a problem. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's what it means, and it does sound like like Scott is coming on to you. So, uh, Captain Crinkle, are you on the market? I am not. Oh, of course she's not. She's very busy. <laughs> Captain Crinkle doesn't have time for such Aww. things. Oh, uh, uh, Captain Crinkle, you stand your ground. Scott Baker, you stop coming around here. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's Mrs. Culpepper, the captain's wife. Uh, well, yes, uh, that is you, correct. You don't Mrs. think that, that Captain Crinkle should be on the market? I, think, I do not think that's the right way of putting it, Adam Felber. Uh, <laughs> Captain Crinkle is a fine woman, uh, and uh, she's not on the market like a piece of meat, for heaven's sakes. Well, it's just an expression. It's sort of like, is she seeking the sort of rapport and, and loving relationship like you have with your captain? Well, I, I, I did at one time have such a relationship with uh, Captain Culpepper. Oh, uh... But not anymore. Well, I still love him very, very deeply, Adam Felber. Uh, but you're but sleeping is... in separate beds. Well, he is past, Adam Felber. Oh, right, right. Oh, I'm so sorry. You don't seem to have much of a memory on this topic. <laughs> I seem to always forget. Yes, he passed. He died of tyrotoxism, which is a poisoning from uh, cheese or dare, other dairy products. And, and That is and correct. Ultimate, ultimately, it was the Havarti that hacked him. No, you're you're incorrect now. Uh, uh, it was the good that got him, Adam Felber. <laughs> uh, Bonnie Burns is a respectable woman, and she is not on a market. She's manipulative, but she's respectable. Uh, uh, she's not on a market. Well, you don't forget there was that whole incident where she took that shower with Soupy Sales. Oh God, the shower. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, there was that, uh, but that's in her past. She's a, she's developed since then uh, into a fine, respectable woman. Well, apparently the development is what Scott Baker is into. Uh, that, that could be. That very, uh, zofty, he likes zofting women. He does. <laughs> oh, Lydia has a good idea. Oh, yeah, yes. Tony, tell us about what Lid Nobody Lydia says. Nobody Lydia. What if Bonnie was the house band sometime? She's really in a musical frame of mind these days. Just a thought. I'll tell you what I what? think. I think it would suck dog balls. <laughs> <laughs> in a podcast that already sucks dog balls, more dog balls would be sucked. Um, Bonnie, how do you respond to that idea that you might be a house band? 
at first I thought, oh, I could do that and it could be really fun. But then I was thinking, what am I going to do? Like, going in and out of the segments and it would probably get very irritating after a while. No. Oh, no. I think it might be fun sometime. So you don't you don't play any instruments, though, Bonnie. I do, but I don't have them here. The drums. You play the drums. I know how to play peaceful, easy feeling on the drums. Like on a full (laughs) drum kit with your bass drum and your snare and your hi hats, you can play. Yeah, I had the whole thing. Yeah, I had the whole. And you can play peaceful, easy feeling. Oh my god! That was one of the songs I learned. I've got That's amazing. Easy feeling. Well, that I'm I'm here by promising our nobodies that at some point we're gonna have Bonnie play peaceful, easy feeling. I can't I can hardly wait. I can I hardly a, wait. I have a feeling that when she's playing, I'm not gonna have a peaceful, easy feeling. <laughs> no. All right, Tony, what else? This is the last one. That's from Aria V. I absolutely adore all of you, but why has the climate catastrophe countdown clock been replaced by infomercials for bulk meat shipments? Are you trying to speed things up? Going to take on Big Coal as a sponsor next? I figure Compass Head is to blame. Does he have to be on every show? Bonnie may be the only one doing her part. Co-showering with hunky actors to save water, using only responsibly sourced sticks for her hot dough, and recycling Brewer and Shipley songs to promote world literacy. I pledge to raise the funds to outbid the horde flesh peddlers as a sponsor if Bonnie will be given the artistic freedom she deserves to make a Best of Bonnie Ballads album. I'll double the sponsorship if she manages to get it up on iTunes. Wow. 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 Aria knows a lot about this show. Yeah, uh, she's even criticizing our sponsors, and she's uh, t- took a shot at me, which, which shouldn't feel like a shot because I've always hated that description of me. Oh yeah, see, she gives you a chance to do away with that description, but you are on every show, Adam. Um, you know, she's absolutely right that we did go, we did go from the uh, from the climate change countdown clock to to hawking uh, meat. Uh, she's absolutely right about that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Whether she's right about Bonnie doing her part, I, that, that, that's... <laughs> I think her advocacy of, uh, of a Bonnie Burns theme song album undercuts everything else she's saying, personally. <laughs> <laughs> I think if she's displayed that kind of judgment, you have to question everything else she says. You know what, though? Aria, maybe, and of course, because it was your idea, you'll get a cut of the profits... Maybe Bonnie could do uh, an album of her theme songs, and that could come when you order a, a Bonnie Burns Captain Crinkle plush toy. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Oh, yeah. We got to get into those plush toys because I think the Captain Crinkle plush toy is going to be a fantastic thing. Oh, it's going to be the thing that people beat each other up on Black Friday over, you know, like the Tickle Me Elmo and, and the uh, Cabbage Patch doll kind of history. And when people run into people reading Eat, Pray, Love on a plane, meet each other, um, you know, it could be even creepier if you're singing the theme song while kind of like swaying the Captain Crinkle plush doll in their face. Ooh. Bookie, bookie, ooh, bookie, yeah. club, bookie, 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 club. <laughs> 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 yeah. 
Yeah. Now I'm I'm 100% committed to those plush toys. That's a great idea. Well, you know, um, sometimes when we interview people, we'll say like, well, how did you come up with that? What made you want to do that? I mean, I kind of want to ask Bonnie, how did you think of Bookie, Bookie, Bookie Book Club? <laughs> I just, I've said before, it just came to me in a moment of inspiration. So I yeah. wrote down those lyrics. Oh, you wrote them down. <laughs> but after you'd written Bookie... How did you know that the next word would be bookie? And what made you think that the word after that would be the inspired rhyme bookie? I'm telling you, I just saw this documentary on the Bee Gees. They talked about how they write songs and they said the song <laughs> finds you. And yeah. you're So you just... were chased around the house by bookie bookie bookie. <laughs> right. And I heard John Lennon say that too. It's just the words just come to you, and you put yeah. them down. You're yeah. the receptor. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Do you remember that time John Lennon called you and asked you, Bonnie, Bonnie. how do you do it? Bonnie, I'm trying to write a song, and I'm stuck with what comes after Bookie. I was wondering. Bookie, Bookie, Bookie. <laughs> na, na, said, na, na, na. <laughs> All right. Well, that number was nine, super fun. Number nine. And, uh, number nine. <laughs> number nine. That was a Bonnie Burns lyric. So we've come to the end of uh, uh, Mailbag. Anybody want to sing our closing theme song? Mail email, mailbag, mail email, mailbag. <laughs> Captain Crinkle edition. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey. Hey, nobodies. If you have questions or comments, drop us a line at nobody listens to Paula Poundstone at gmail.com. The song found her. And you can appear in a, in a segment as great as that one. Hey, Paula, what's going on in your Poundstone product empire this week? Well, Adam, here at Poundstone Industries, also known as Lipstick Nancy Incorporated, the holiday rush is slowing down. And honestly, we can use it. It's been such a busy time. We sold three t-shirts, and we normally sell two. Big fucking holiday rush. The good news is, we're still here for our customers. Listeners can order my remarkably soft tri-poly blend t-shirts with my self-portrait on the left breast and a memorable quote on the back in baseball and standard styles at my website, paulapoundstone.com, or add my social justice rap song, Not My Butterfinger, to your playlist. And if you really love it, Buy it as your ringtone and post your phone number on the internet. You'll find that <laughs> and more at the shop at paulapoundstone.com. I'd tell you more about the more, but Heidi. And let me just add, if I may, Heidi, um, do you guys like hotcakes? Well, if you do, you'd probably like a book that is selling like those. That would be Confessions <laughs> of a Puppet Master by Charles Band with me, Adam Felber. It's an amazing, oh, raucous, God. fun uh, a memoir of a Hollywood B-movie icon. So you should buy that wherever books are sold. Now, also, subscribe to this podcast. It's free. And uh, why don't you leave a little review on Apple Podcasts for us, if you don't mind. If there's a subject or topic you want to know about, well, like I just said, that's at nobodylistenstopaulapoundstone at gmail.com. And that is our show. Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone is hosted by Paula Poundstone and yours truly, Adam Felber. Special thanks to our guest, Kevin Zwire Anderson. Ooh, I appreciate yeah. your art. It was great. And to our house band, Adam McDonough. 
Good yeah. work, yeah. McDonough. Yeah, he's great too. He is. You represented Clan McDonough with honor. Our show is produced by Paula Poundstone, Adam Felber, Bonnie Burns, Ken Lezebnik, and Tony Anita Hull. Starburns production by Land Romo. Poundstone Industries production by Vic Lowry. Thanks to the voice talent of Paul Matlock. Transcription services for the show provided by TranscribeMe, a premier internationally used transcription service. Use code Paula Poundstone when placing your order at transcribeme.com to receive an expedited service. Oh my gosh, Tony. Wait, wait, I have one. I have one. Just (laughs) one. I guess it doesn't count, but still, I would like to use it. Please. (laughs) Trump suffered no consequences for his mendacity while in office. That was excellent, Tony. That was great. There's probably at least two more times you could have used the word mendacity in regards to Trump. Mm. Nonetheless, nice try, Tony Anita Hull, (laughs) but that was only one, and we require three times in this episode to use the vocabulary word. So we are very, very sorry. Comic Book Store and Social Hub at 132 West 2nd Street in Flint, Michigan. We cannot give you dollars worth of advertising it's a blow to us as well because nothing would have given us more pleasure than to inspire people to stop by comic bookstore and social hub at 132 west second street in flint michigan if anybody knows comic bookstore and social hub at 132 west second street in flint michigan please send them our apologies that's our show for tonight won't somebody please listen to me You know, I'm kind of sad that we've now forever been robbed of the chance for a Sondheim Burns musical. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And maybe we could have gotten him to do the podcast then. Yeah. I just think they could have done such great things together if they'd only met again. Well, you know what? She'll, you know, the good news is Bonnie's going to continue to create. I feel it. Because you know what? Uh, I, I hadn't realized that that thing about the Bee Gees saying the songs find you. Yeah. Huh. I bet yeah. those songs are haunting Bonnie all over the house right now. Oh, my God. She's probably forever turning around in a panic. What was that? Where was are that? the crinkles? Send in the crinkles. It's Don't the bother. Bookie they're bookie. here. That's <laughs> funny. Stop it. Stop it. A, podcast. <clears throat> A podcast network.